You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, just enjoying this buffet of love that is these movies as we try and find how they have shaped us and formed our imaginations. Hopefully along the way we enrich the viewing experience, have some fun, and aren't left behind to slow down the predators. Today we're going on what looks like a very long walk, driven unmercifully through the 39th film in the canon and the first computer animated film from Disney, the year 2000's Dinosaur. At the time, this was the highest budget computer animated film ever made. For context, this is sitting in between 1999's Toy Story 2 and 2001's Monsters, Inc., that's uh, those are both from Pixar. Michael's favorite movie, um, Shrek from DreamWorks, is still a year away as well. That came out in 2001. Uh, we're also a full seven years post Jurassic Park, which in commuter, computer animation years is like moving from the Cretaceous to the Jurassic period, I think. Uh, one more note of context. The Land Before Time first came out in 1988, 12 years before this movie. And in 2000, Land Before Time 7, The Stone of Cold Fire was released. There were so many lands before time. Yeah, so many. I like how you pluralize that, lands before. That was very You know, uh, I, I love an English. irregular pluralization. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Actually, I had the Wikipedia page open earlier to see how many lands before time there were. Um, it's a lot. I think they're still making them, possibly. Is that true? Oh my gosh. You know, you bring up Jurassic Park, which is obviously important for the dinosaur story, but most of that movie was practical effects, wasn't it? There, there was very little computer animation in it. Um. So, yeah, I think so. Here, so here was the thing that was confusing me as I was looking into um, – so the last – sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself and say Journey of the Brave came out in 2016. So oh, I assume, my heavens. I assume there will be another Land Before Time at some point. That was the uh, – They're making so many of them, eventually they're going to hit time, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the great lines in this movie, uh, or maybe the great line in this movie, is I believe you had a wake-up call for the beginning of time or something like that. Whatever, I just watched it. It was a good line in this movie. Anyway, yeah, Jurassic Park. So as I'm looking at the history of this film, Dinosaur, um, it has a it has a crazy developmental history. Went through multiple uh, directors, writers, ideas, um, and actually different parts of the Disney empire. So it wasn't originally even in the Disney animated department. It was going to be, um, what's the more adult one? Uh, Touchstone. Touchstone? Yeah. Is that the one with the, the Sphinx or whatever? Um, anyway, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is, it was going to be there for a little while. Paul Verhoeven um, was supposed to direct it, right? He did Robocop. 
Yeah, yeah, I think he was one of the original, like, idea people. Some people who ended up actually working on Jurassic Park were people who originally pitched this movie at Disney. Um, so what what I, my understanding is that around 93, when Jurassic Park was about to come out, Disney that's when Disney decided, oh, instead of doing this as stop motion and animatronics and things like that, we should go fully digital because that's what Jurassic Park is doing. But my understanding, and I, I didn't have time or whatever to research this, was more like what you said. Like, Jurassic Park was more practical effects. Which is than... why Jurassic Park still looks terrific. I mean, there are computer-generated parts of that movie that don't look quite as good. But the, the main parts of that movie are, are practical effects. They're, they're puppets. And uh, that movie holds up. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen that movie since probably... <laughs> 1999 or something you know Gilmore so. made us watch it again a few years ago for an episode and mm-hmm. uh, it, it really is still a good movie uh, and and it does not feel for the most part like it comes from 1993 whereas Dinosaur feels very very much like it comes from the late 90s yeah yeah so um, yeah I, th- I think it's it, it, that's that is important context for it like i mean it's it's part of the developmental history of the film and then also just yeah what what are we looking at and why why does it look <laughs> the way it looks <laughs> so um yeah some some interesting things in this movie as far as the look of it i guess is that the the dinosaurs the lemurs um are all computer animated but they're set for the most part in live action filmed shots um of different you know scenery around the world which i realized when i saw a stream running and i thought wow they did that running water really well for computer generated animation because running water famously difficult to do that was the big deal about finding nemo is how good the water looked and um given that most of the rest of this movie does not look up to the finding nemo level uh, i realized quickly oh that's a live action background Right. I it it fooled me in the sense that I was like, what am I looking at here? Like this like everything not the dinosaurs looks amazing. Like right. I mean not the dinosaurs and the lemurs. The, the lemurs don't look amazing. But like everything else like I I and I I I couldn't place it. I was like, was computer animation on like scenery stuff just that good or that early because I know like I mean that was some of the stuff that Disney was originally playing with like I mean if you you look at you know Oliver and company or whatever you know like the city and the cars and stuff in the background were were where the computer animation stuff was happening at that time um but then yeah I've it was for me it was watching the credits and then it was like filmed on location in blank 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 you know and i was like oh okay that's now it makes yeah. sense I the, yeah because i had the same thought with the with the running water i was like this this it just looks too good i don't understand <laughs> like what am i what am i missing here well and so. my first reaction was why does it look like it's green screened on the background like how do you do a green screen when it's fully computer animated and well mm-hmm. the answer is it's not fully computer animated the, the, yeah. they really did green screen it essentially right and you know it's funny we just did um a couple months ago we did an episode of the podcast night cheese which as we're recording this hasn't aired yet i think it's coming out sometime this month um, but you think about how good 
the animated characters on the backgrounds in Roger Rabbit looked, uh, and and you really see that was a more than a decade before Dinosaur, uh, and cost you know a lot of money, but I don't think as much as this movie did, and um, it it really is a steep drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that we are starting to get to the area of computer animation where. I mean, it's still it's it's late 90s, early 2000s stuff, but we're getting closer, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's there's some really nice looking things in here. Even I was actually like watching this back to back with Fantasia 2000 was interesting um, because I feel like that opening five minute sequence, which is the best five minutes of the movie, if they had set that to some, you know, classical piece and stuck it in Fantasia 2000 it would probably have been one of the best pieces in it, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like it looks, it looks better than the whales, you know, um, for sure. Uh, from, I, f- I forget what the name of that piece was with the whales, but pines of Rome. Yeah. Pines of Rome. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, my, my kids watched just that five minute clip with me. They didn't watch the whole movie with me. Um, but I told them like, this is the best part of the movie. And they're like, why? And I was like, well, you care what happens to this egg like somehow like they do a good job of like um for i sorry i should talk about what i'm talking about for people who don't know the the movie opens with an egg and a nest um and then a a giant predator dinosaur comes through scares everybody off the net the nest the the nest gets smashed other than a single egg that single egg is then scooped up by some mini chicken dinosaur you know to go off and eat it um and uh, that dinosaur gets into a fight with another of its kind that gets dropped. It gets dropped in a river. It gets swooped up by a, a big pterodactylish um, thing. That bird swoops it through all sorts of scenery and over all sorts of um, lovely shots of both scenery and dinosaurs. Um, and then it gets dropped into uh, the lemur jungle. So that like five minutes um, is, is just really beautifully done. And, and you're just following this little story of this egg, the journey of this egg. And it's, it's really lovely, <laughs> you know? Yeah. One, and for a while I thought, Oh, is there not going to be any dialogue in this movie? And then there was, and it was a disaster. Well, and I think that's the thing with the, the development of this movie is that there was really an inner war inside Disney between the people who wanted to make essentially a, what, what would you call it? Like a mockumentary, um, in the sense that it would be like a documentary about dinosaurs, but not obviously not real because they're not actually out in the wild filming dinosaurs. Um, and people who wanted to make a cutesy animation film and somehow they both got stuck making the same movie and, <laughs> and it turned out worse for both of them. You know? Yeah. I, th- I think either of the movies you're talking about would have been better than the one we ended up with. Yeah. By the way, I want the, to I want to fill in the gaps on the dinosaur names that you left out, and you can I can tell uh, how old you are based on what dinosaur names you know, because every little boy and probably a lot of little girls is super into dinosaurs, but they discover some <laughs> dinosaurs after we were kids. The, the big scary ones that are the big bads in this movie, those are called uh, Carnotaurs, and the little one that ate, stole the egg is an Avaraptor, which means uh, egg thief, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Avaraptor reminded me a little bit of uh, um, 
Oh, what's the what's the name of that lizard thing in uh, Rescuers Down Under? Uh huh. Yeah. The 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 what is it? A hooded uh, lizard? Yeah, maybe. What's what's his name though? Because he's like, these are not your eggs. <laughs> uh, Joanna. Yeah, these are not Joanna's eggs. That's what I like wanted to yell at the screen when when that thing popped up on the screen. These are not Joanna's eggs. Well, and then uh, for a while I thought, oh no, this is going to be just like Tarzan. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, it was not just like Tarzan because I think that would have even been worse than what we got. Mm-hmm. It was at least a a different story than what I told Victoria. This must be the first Disney post-apocalyptic movie because really that's <laughs> really that's what we're dealing with here, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really funny. So like the the opening minutes is obviously very it's very I mean, <clears throat> and they're they're pulling from Lion King. Um, which, you know, as they should, because that, that opening sequence in Lion King is amazing. But Disney kind of went through this phase of of using these big, grand opening sweeping things as the teaser trailer and also the opening of the film. So they like like they first did it with Lion King. And then I forget. Did they do it with Pocahontas? Is that the other one where they did that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I I think so. Remember. Yeah. And then they did it with this one. Um, and they even brought in. um you know, you know what's his name lebo uh lebo does the the vocals on on this uh, the same as, as oh interesting the, i didn't realize he's the, that he's the featured vocalist on lion king as well you know um and and like like i said rightfully so like they should be pulling from that well as much as possible you know because it's 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 great and it, and it, i think it's effective here it works here um tarzan has a similar i don't th- i don't think they released the beginning of tarzan in that way but like has it has similarly like epic sweeping opening um with the big song and everything um where was i going with this i, I don't know I a... <laughs> um i don't know either shoot give me half the, a second i'll remember the, the whole um, thing with with whether they should adopt him or not is right out of tarzan and then a lot oh, of the, right. the animation yeah. where the lemurs right. are swinging from vines look to me like a a worse animated 3d version of the, the the kind of remarkable vine swinging scenes in tarzan mm-hmm. you know yeah. we didn't love tarzan either but one thing that was really well done in tarzan was those um swinging scenes right yeah that's exactly where i was going now like my my wife was was in the room and she was like what is this lion king and then she's like oh, what is this this is tarzan now <laughs> like what are they doing here you know um but you're right it was definitely it was not tarzan it's it, it hinted that way or it was a, it was a little bit of a of a head fake i guess maybe the only head fake in this whole movie would <laughs> be that it looks like tarzan for half a second <laughs> oh i, I think... don't know I, I mean i i expected at the end of this movie for all the dinosaurs to die and only the lemurs survive which is what happened in real life of course <laughs> <laughs> and and that doesn't happen there's a happy ending inexplicably in to Disney this movie version, about dinosaurs but what's that I said not in the Disney version. <laughs> I guess I thought well, you know, it was rated PG, so I thought, oh well, maybe they're gonna, um, maybe they're gonna go for the downer ending. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. No, that was the original concept, though. The original concept was it was this big like cosmic story. I mean, not like in the '80s, like the RoboCop guys wanted this big like cosmic story, and um, it was yeah, it was gonna end basically with a with a big battle, but like the big battle didn't matter because as soon as the battle was over, the comet hits and and everybody dies. And in this one, they moved the comet to the beginning, which makes it like you said more much more post apocalyptic. Um, yeah, so 
That's fine. Because the whole time I was expecting them to get to the nesting grounds and have it just be as dry and barren as everything else. Mm-hmm. But no, they get there and it's the Garden of Eden. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. I'm asking too much, right, for the, the children's movie to end with mass extinction, but... Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that's the tension that this movie is caught in, um, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, unfortunately for the movie, like, it's, it, I, I guess in some ways tension sometimes creates something interesting, you know? Like, what would this movie have been if it was, you know, not speaking, or what would this movie have been if it was more... Yeah, like just a lot of talking dinosaurs, you know, the, uh, yeah, I will say that the, there's, there are several long stretches in this movie, um, with no talking where they kind of go to that, um, more that nature documentary style. And those, those I think really work. Mm -hmm. Those are the best moments in the movie. I think one of the, uh, where was I reading this? One of the um, the directors, I think, was saying that, you know, they would take... He had two versions of the trailer. One that was that, like, five minutes that we, we that I've been, you know, referencing. Um, and he would take that and people would be, you know, just in awe of it. And then he would show the one with the dinosaurs talking and it'd be like, oh... <laughs> Like people just like immediately lost interest. It just like deflated them. Well, the, the the character design to make them talk, I think, is 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 kind of creepy. Um, the the iguanodons, the main the main dinosaurs, are given human-ish lips instead of real iguanodons had like a beak, and, mm-hmm. and seeing them with these human mouths is is kind of upsetting in its way. Yeah. Yeah, I guess one of the one of the guys who worked on the movie was was pretty upset about that because I guess he was like a really big dinosaur geek, you know, and it's just like I'm like like having a real life crisis of like, what am I doing? Like I'm I'm undermining science or something, you know, it's like a really funny quote. Um, Well, it's funny because they get the science right in some places. So um, when they first go out into the desert, they're attacked by a herd of raptors. Mm-hmm. Which we'll all remember from the uh, the Jurassic Park movie as six foot hyper intelligent man eaters, but mm-hmm. after Jurassic Park came out, they discovered that well actually raptors were about the size of chickens, and that's what they <laughs> that's what they are in the um that's what they are in this movie, and I thought that was a nice touch, especially since I don't know about you, I'd never even heard of a raptor before Jurassic Park, and I was into dinosaurs when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I thought I thought that was kind of bold for them to to go with the the current science rather than um, rather than the the more popular presentation. I'll also point out that now um, they say that uh, raptors had feathers, which mm-hmm. is uh, funny to funny to think about. Yeah, yeah, I saw online somewhere where you could buy like a little feathered plush uh, velociraptor. And I was like, oh, I I would like to have one of those. <laughs> so. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't buy it myself, but maybe someday. Maybe someday. Maybe one of our listeners will send it to you. Yeah, go ahead. So the the movie is it's it's interesting, you know. <laughs> like that's kind of the thing. Is it's like it's interesting, but it it just I don't know. It didn't. It, I I wasn't I wasn't deeply touched by it or anything like that. 
No, I found it I found it largely hard to connect with. And and part of it is just that the animation, which was by all accounts dazzling in 2000, if you look at reviews, all of them mention how good this movie looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2021, not so dazzling. It looks kind of chintzy. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised it got so much credit for that in 2000 because to me it doesn't look as good as Monsters, Inc. Or as... Right. Um, uh, even even as a as a Bug's Life or Toy Story two, mm-hmm. um, so like I, I don't feel like this is a a good looking movie even for its time and now it looks terrible, but because of that it it's hard to enter the world of the movie and care about the the characters even though these terrible things are happening and there's parts that are clearly supposed to be moving that that just can't because instead of Instead of a realistic dinosaur, you get this kind of half-realistic, half-human being dinosaur that is poorly molded in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was that was uh, Roger Ebert's criticism of the movie, even at the time. Uh, he, I'm basically totally agreeing with you as far as, like, at the time. I mean, he went on and on about the visuals and how stunning they were. Um, and so you work so hard to create these realistic dinosaurs and then you put lips on them and make them talk and it completely ruins the effect you know so like they'd be better uh it would have been better to spend that energy in making appealing characters which is i think why like what you're what you're seeing with monsters inc um and you know even bugs life toy story is they're you know in none of those instances are they meant to look like something photorealistic they're meant to look like, you know, cartoons. And so then you can make appealing characters that you connect with and that hold up for longer, you know, because it's the photorealistic stuff that really suffers in the long term as as our uh, technology keeps getting better and better. Right. And you wonder if there's going to be a, an endpoint to that. I, I remember watching, I may have told the story on the podcast before, I remember watching The Two Towers in... 2002 or 2003 and already thinking oh that balrog looks so fake but mm-hmm. you look back at the marvel movies from even five or ten years ago and they still look pretty good so, yeah so i wonder if we've reached a point where there's not going to be a drop off so much that they might be reaching the the peak of uh 3d capability yeah and then that makes you wonder what's next because i mean we kind of reached the the peak of 2d capability and then they totally abandoned it and went with <laughs> computer animation. I could have smell of vision. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah. But I think the other problem is actually it's not the visuals. Like I think that I th- like I said I think the visuals are are passable. Like they're they they so Monsters, Inc. in particular is like the first movie that I thought of when I saw the lemurs because I was like, this fur just doesn't look right. And I remember the the hype around Monsters, Inc. was like how much time and rendering had taken place to get the fur, you know, the same way like with Finding Nemo it was to get the water right. Like like it, it felt like every every Pixar movie, there was always this like hyped point, you know. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, they just it, they didn't quite get some of those elements right but i think if the story was stronger if the characters were stronger like there would be that ability to look past it Mm -hmm. um but that this movie 
feels like um, plot points more than a fleshed out actually script, actual script to me, you know? Tell me what you mean by that. I uh, Well, I just kind of mean like you kind of know like there's these archetypal sort of stories that we all know, right? Like there's there's the, you know, whatever, like you have the hero in their um, – you know, in their world, some something happens to upset that world, you know, whether it's meteors falling from the sky or, you know, a Buzz Lightyear toy has arrived, like whatever, you know, but like something has disrupted that whole world. And now the the hero has to understand themselves and this new world, a new reality, and they have to figure it out. And they go through several, you know, things in there at some point, uh, you know, they meet a love interest or, uh, you know, a B plot line comes in, you get new characters. Like in this movie, you get the, the, um, what is it? A, uh, a Brachiosaurus and a, uh, I don't remember the other one. It looks kind of St- like St- a Triceratops, but it's not. Styracosaurus is what okay, uh, uh, Wikipedia says. Right. Yeah. 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 Triceratops so, is what I remember. Right. Yeah. So like they come in, you know, and, um, you know, but then there has to be tension. So, you know, he gets called a jerkosaurus and then, you know, he has to meet the villain and, and then he has to have a, you know, this heroic moment. And then he has to have a, a, a moment of, of self doubt. And then, you know, like, and then there's a happy ending. Like, it's just like, it's like, it hits every single beat, but it's like in a really nicely made story or movie, um, it's like you don't see through the exterior of all that, you know, like you can like it, it sweeps you up in it. Whereas this movie, it felt like every time you hit one of those beat points, it was like, okay, well that just happened because it had to, it had to happen. You know, like the script, (laughs) the script says it has to happen, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like when, when, uh, the love interest, what's her name? Nia? Nina? Nira. Nira. Sorry. I'm so bad at this. Oh man, they're gonna take away my professional Disney podcasting license. I can't get that. Michael Eisner is not gonna give you your uh, your live <laughs> show that you were hoping for. No, I know. Okay, I gotta get these things right. Get it together. Okay. Anyway, near. I mean, with the Nira calling him a jer- jerkosaurus, it's just like it, count, it comes out of nowhere. Like there's no there's no real reason for that that's, to happen. That's true because she um she stood up for him just two or three minutes before that, and then she immediately drops it later. It 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 does seem to come out of nowhere. Yeah. And the same thing with, I feel like the, you know, the big triumphal side, sort of like moment in this movie, I guess, is when they're in the cave and they come up to a a wall and, you know, we're going to make it through it, you know, like he's, he's going to do it. And then he, he fails. And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, he has to have like every hero has to have this like crisis moment, you know, and so he has his but like it doesn't really connect or make sense, you know, and then um, the Brachiosaurus comes in and gives this speech that doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel natural. It feels like this is the point where the friend comes in and says, you've led us all this far and we still believe in you. And, you know, like, right. Like that's just how kind of the dialogue comes off, you know, like, I, I don't know. If I'd been writing the movie, that would have been the end of the movie when the lemurs can get through the hole in the wall and the dinosaurs <laughs> can't. Because once again, that's what actually happened. <laughs> but also just even for this movie, like, 
Then five minutes later, he decides, oh, I can go catch up with the whole herd. Right. I, I did wonder about that. And running back through. Like, so it's not like they're at an actual dead end. Right. You know, like they're at a dead end because they have to be at a dead end because that's what comes next in the template of telling a story. Yeah. This, is, this is a movie about hope and despair where both the hope and the despair feel kind of pro forma. Yeah. And I like that theme. Like, I really like uh-huh. the hope and despair theme. I mean, it's it's strongest. At, so this this I think the the strongest dialogue moment in the movie happens when the the henchman of the villain. Uh-huh. Um, Br- Bruton is the henchman's name. OK. Uh, Bruton is is injured um, and dying. Um, and our hero Alador? Um, Are you talking Alador. about Alador? <laughs> yes, yes, Alador, you know, like, invites him in to the group. And then, um, man, I'm so, I, I should have written down all the names. I'm so sorry. Um, what's the, the lemur comes up? Cleo. Cleo, thank you. This is, this is like, it's like Mad Libs or something. <laughs> <laughs> she comes up and says, uh, he says, why is he doing this? You know, like, why, why does he keep pushing them? Like, they're they're not going to survive and um she says it's, it's the hope that has got us here and it's not fate it's choice you know i think that that was a that was a, that's a powerful theme and a powerful moment in the movie despite my complete butchering of the summarization of it um it's it's a power it's it's meant to be a powerful moment in the movie um it's the closest thing that to that comes to working in the movie i think right yeah, and she, well she gives them the plant i i, I liked that that Again, the lemurs are smarter and more versatile <laughs> than the dinosaurs and thus will survive this. And so she gives him this healing herb, which I'm not sure if any primates other than human beings actually know about that stuff, but let's say they do. I did wonder how he was going to use it. She left it with him, and the, the scene ends with him kind of reaching out for it, but he didn't have opposable thumbs, right? So like, how's he going to rub this on himself? Yeah. But again, this is not a failure with the character design. Like it, it's just they, they made them too human to be to for, the, for them to feel like dinosaurs. But they their design is still too dinosaurish to be to be able to be as human as they need to be. Mm-hmm. Did you see the good dinosaur, the Pixar dinosaur movie? No, I've never seen that one. Actually. I haven't seen it either. I heard it's bad. I wonder if it's bad for the same reason. If if mm. there's a problem with animating dinosaur characters. I don't know. Yeah. I, I never saw it, but I, I heard it was bad. I will say, I heard this movie was awful, and it's just kind of mediocre. It's not as bad as as I was led to believe it is. Uh, it's still, I think, the worst movie we've watched so far, although I, I suspect it's not going to be the worst we watch overall. We've still, yeah. got, we've still got Chicken Little coming out. <laughs> yeah, so we have a friend of the show who, who wrote in to us. Um, hi Sarai and and she says that we're too hard on movies that we don't have the nostalgia for and I think there's some fairness to that criticism sure I also think like you're right this movie is not as bad as I as it could have been or as I thought it may be um nostalgia would probably cover some of its flaws I still think it's fair to say that the thing the thing that saves the movie and kills the movie is that tension that, that we've been talking about. Like it just doesn't know what it wants to be. Well, when you feel the better movie kind of pressing underneath the surface, you, you mm-hmm. get, you get hope. And then when the work, the lesser movie 
conquers it, your hope is, uh, is, is turned to despair as surely as Aladar's is when he can't get through the wall to cave. <laughs> Only there's oh, no Brachiosaurus man. to break down that wall for you. That was so good. Th- th- thank you. So I'm good. a poet. You, know? you are. <laughs> yeah. So one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the voice cast, which is largely African-American, which I think is an interesting choice, especially since there's nothing about this movie that is uh, black. I, I mean, so I, I was I was thinking about this in the context of that movie Soul, which also has a largely African-American cast, but is a movie about African-Americans. This mm-hmm. they could have easily done um, a, a white cast and it, nobody would have said anything, you know, but they, mm-hmm. they did. They went for um, some some actually some really good African-American actors. Alfrey Woodard plays Plea the, the lemur, and Ossie Davis, who's a legend, plays uh, Yar, the oldest lemur. Della mm-hmm. Reese is Ema. And uh, Crone, the, the the kind of jerk iguanodon, head, head iguanodon, that's Samuel Wright, who played Sebastian in The Little Mermaid. Mm. Uh, really showing some range, I think. It's a very, very different part. <laughs> yeah, very different. I didn't realize it was the same guy. So actually, most of the best vocal performances, I, I would say, are the African-American ones. And it's the the white characters. Uh, D.B. Sweeney, in particular, as Aladar, I think is, is quite weak. And uh, and also, Max Casella as the, the kind of horny lemur who can't who can't uh, get a girlfriend. He, mm-hmm. he is very, very bad in this movie. Um, but the the African American actors, I think, acquit themselves very well. Um, their 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 scenes are by and large the best scenes, and their performances are by and large the best performances. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. Man, you're mentioning that lemur made me realize that I skipped part of my introduction. You didn't call me anything. I didn't. I noticed I, that. I, Were you going to call me the horny lemur? Well, I was going to say. Back in the teens of these episodes, we're on 39 now, plus the interludes or whatever. You know, and, and today, teens. Josh, is actually my 39th birthday as we're recording this. Think about <laughs> oh, that. It's kismet. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's cosmic. Um, <laughs> back in the teens of these episodes, I used to introduce myself as your fellow student and friend. And I have to dig that fossil up of an introduction because today we have with us none other than that raging epidemic of romance, the love professor, and class is in, in session. <laughs> Gross. I'm so glad you didn't open the show with that. Uh, I can't believe I skipped right over it. I have it written right here. I just skipped right over it. Oh, man. That character might be more annoying than Rosie O'Donnell in Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, it didn't... Also, work. I had to think way more than I wanted to think about lemur mating habits. Like, I, the, at the end, when he's surrounded by the female lemurs, I, I think I think I didn't go have an orgy. I, I, like, I, I was really upset by that. I know, I'm sure that stuff happens in, in the lemur world, but, you know, if, you, if you're going to yeah. make this movie more adult, let's do it not by having the realistic mating habits of the lemur, but by right. killing off all the dinosaurs at the end. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there was some, definitely some of that tension in this movie. Like, we're, we're seeing more of that just crass humor start to start to come in um like i mean just the the whole fact that they had this um courting ritual thing in it like it it wasn't done necessarily poorly but it was just like why why is this happening especially since immediately after all the courting happens um they all those lemurs die right (laughs) you know right it's the it's the it's the bachelor and the you know our alador bachelor who are left and i mean that could have been an interest again like 
it's that tension of like there's a better movie shining through like if that's the thing is like he's you know on this quest to find love because he's been raised by lemurs like i don't know that's kind of that's that's closer to tarzan i guess but like yeah i don't know like this is it didn't it didn't make sense to me why why they were going there all, all the all the love jokes are so corny and so like unnecessary yeah and, uh, and the performances it it sounds i i thought when i was watching it oh they're just trying to reproduce timon from the lion king and i looked it up and max casella who people probably know either from newsies or as uh doogie hauser's buddy Vinny from doogie hauser he played mm-hmm. timon on broadway so i mean i think he's probably just literally doing a timon impersonation yeah um but more annoying and not charming really in any way and i, I have to say in a movie full of hideous character design uh zenny's character design is the worst and i just noticed yeah. his name is zenny like Vinny from uh from doogie hauser how about that there you go yeah so yeah voice i mean the vocal performances I, I feel like you're more in tune with these than i am but yeah overall i i think i'm, I'm in agreement like they're, they're not necessarily bad they just don't give them good lines to use i mean this goes back to my your use of the word charming there like that goes back to my my whole thing about this like just kind of seeing too easily through this movie like he uh the aladar um or sorry not the aladar aladar um like calls himself charming and then later um when he first meets nira she's like no matter how charming you are and it's like okay so we're supposed to know that aladar as a character is charming but like instead of like any evidence of that yeah um we'll just get it in a couple lines of dialogue right you know right well, and oh. and I do think D.B. Sweeney is bad in this movie. I, I, I don't know that I've seen him in anything else other than an episode of House where he's also not great. Um, but he's he's bad in this movie. He can't carry the emotional stuff that he would need to carry. Now, I'm not sure anybody could, but he's particularly bad at it. Um, so, I, I, you know, when you when you have a movie that depends this heavily on the central character, you got to make sure you cast that well. Right. And I think, uh, yeah, that's just, it, it's just back to that you know, I'm a broken record here, but it's just back to that tension. Like they they didn't want, like there was, there was, there were filmmakers making this movie who didn't even want voices period, you know? And so like, obviously whoever's doing the casting is fighting that contingent of the, of the people who are making this movie, you know? Um, which, which has got to be difficult. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure that's true. Here's what I would have done. I think I would have done one of two things. I would have either jettisoned the love story and just made this a movie about dinosaurs trying to survive. And if you want to keep the happy ending, okay, keep the happy ending, whatever. But I would have, I would have not made this about um, Aladar and Nira getting together at the end. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like there are more important things than uh, than dinosaur love. Excuse my my phone there. Um, so I would have done that. Failing that, if I was going to keep the uh, if I was going to keep the love story, I would have gone a Wally route where Aladar could speak because he was raised by these mammals, but none of the other dinosaurs could speak. And so mm. he was this kind of defective dinosaur who ended up being more human because he was defective, because he was doing this thing he wasn't supposed to do. That would be a very difficult movie to write, I think, but it would have been a more interesting movie. Yeah. 
And they, they go that route a little bit because what he has that the rest of them don't have, the rest of the dinosaurs don't have, which he apparently learned from the lemurs, is this rejection of social Darwinism, rejection mm-hmm. of the survival of the fittest. And, and that's interesting. They didn't do enough with it, I think, but it is the most interesting thematic element of the movie. Um, and I, I think making him speak and all the other dinosaurs mute, I think, would be um, would be a much more effective way of, of doing what they were trying to do. And it would tie it into Wally, but of course they had no idea Wally was coming when they made this movie. Right. Everybody would have called Wally a dinosaur ripoff. Yeah. Especially like the long scenes in, in Wally without any dialogue also. Right, so. right. Well, and the other thing I would point out is that Toy Story 3 does what this movie does, but better, right? But you, you have that amazing scene toward the end of Toy Story 3 where they're all on the conveyor belt to go into the furnace and, and essentially mm-hmm. God has abandoned them is what's going on. I mean, if you want to, if I were trying to demonstrate despair in a classroom, that's the scene I would show. Like, that's what soul level despair is. And so the mm-hmm. despair you get at the end of this movie feels very shallow because of it. So the, um, I, I think both Wally and Toy Story 3 kind of tread some similar ground um, as, as this movie, and both of them do it about a billion times better. And, yeah. you know, I didn't see those when I was a kid, so it's not just the nostalgia filter talking. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to what you're talking about, about that communal aspect versus the individualistic social Darwinism, Darwinism thing, because I do think you're right that there, that's an interesting aspect to the movie and it's interesting in a couple ways like it's interesting one because um he is uh the outsider on that and he's the only one who who seems to be able to figure it out um and that yeah like you said like it's (laughs) you got to read between the lines that, that that's because he was raised by lemurs but that I'm not I'm not complaining about that reading between the lines because that's way better than us being told everything like right. you're charming, you know. So, yeah, I'm not complaining about that. But that, that is it, it makes it more interesting that you have to kind of figure that out on your own. It also, I think, makes um, Kron a little more sympathetic mm-hmm. as a villain, because what else is he supposed to do? Right. Like that's this is the thinking of you know, this part of the world that they're in, you know, like he's just completely locked up in his, um, in his own cultural mindset, if you want to call it that. Also, Um, it's the way animals work by, by necessity. Like that's, that's how animals behave. When one of them gets mm -hmm. old and weak, they leave the herd and they leave the herd to protect the rest of the herd. This is why, um, cats and dogs go crawl off in the woods to die. They, they don't want, they don't want to get, get you in trouble by making your pack, more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I, so, so you, it's hard to blame an animal for acting like an animal, you know? Um, yeah. But the, I mean, that's another problem, right? These are half dinosaur, half human being. Right. Yeah. It's the same problem. We've <laughs> kept coming back. But, you know, we, uh, we haven't run into that problem with any of the other movies with anthropomorphic animals, right? It, I, I don't know why it's so much stronger here than it would be in something like the lion King. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question. What is it about this that makes it different and difficult to swallow when it wasn't like that in The Lion King? Hmm. I think it's. I don't have a I don't have a good answer to that. I don't either. It, it may just be that The Lion King is a superior movie, and so you don't think about problems in it thematically more as readily as you do uh the problems in dinosaur 
Yeah. Hmm. That's, that, that's, I think that was a great point, though, Michael. I, that was really good insight. And why why this movie? Like, why is it why is it not work in this movie? And that and that's in, that I would say is actually fairness to, um, you know, the people who are who were arguing for talking animals and and let's make this movie this way. Like in their in their corner, <laughs> they have. Hey, this has never been a problem before, right. <laughs> you know. So that's that's a pretty yeah that's a that's a pretty big thing in their corner. And it's not a problem in, um, it's not a problem in the Land Before Time, as far as I can remember. I haven't seen a Land Before Time movie since I was in elementary school. Yeah. I I I really think they should have gone with the, the Verhoeven crowd who wanted to make this. Uh, a, a more realistic nature documentary type movie that would end with the extinction of the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. which is like so clearly where this is headed. And then it, it pulls away. I would have had a lot more respect for the movie. I think if, if at the end there was some indication that, Oh, you know, this whole society is doomed. Right. I mean, they kind of allude to it with the fact that like, that's the last Brachiosaurus, right? right. <laughs> this old lady Brachiosaurus, but, but you're right. They definitely, they they shy away from it. They don't want to go there. You know, I didn't mention that she's played by uh, English stage legend Joan Plowright, and she, I, I think she does a, a, a good job as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to Kron being kind of um, sympathetic because I think that the... the this is a thing in the movie that I didn't like was there's a chance for um, redemption of Kron and they, they decide to go the other way where he, um, he is so like um, Aladar convinces the entire herd that there's a better way. Um, And only Kron is the one who's like stuck and, and saying like, no, it has to be this way, you know? And so then, um, so then he, of course he has to die, you know? <laughs> like, um, whereas, I don't know, I think that would have been a in- more interesting movie too, you know, as long as you're not going for extinction, um, why not, you know, why not have redemption of, of the character? They, they hint that it's possible, um, when, when Aladar kind of redeems, um, Bruton, uh, you know, Bruton comes around, um, still dies. You know, it's, I don't know, it's this kind of weird thing where it's like, we can't have redemption and then the character live. And we also like, can't have, you know, the ongoing enemy. Like then they just have to die, you know? Uh, like, I'm trying to think if I would have preferred if he'd been redeemed because that too would seem like kind of a cliche to me. So he dies yeah, but- because he refuses the, the philosophical change, right? He refuses to, um, he refuses to be part of the herd and instead clings to this notion that the strong survive. And so he can, if he can scale this mountain, essentially he's going to be safe from the carnotaur. So it, it, it works to me that he dies because of that. And I also liked that Nira really foolishly runs out there to save him. Mm-hmm. Like that—that that was a foolish thing to do, but it's a very human thing to do. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a noble thing to do in its way. Right. 
Because she couldn't yeah. possibly have saved him. <laughs> yeah. Well, she could have though. Oh, that, I think that's where like that's where I would want the redemption moment to happen, is that Nira runs back foolishly, um, Aladar runs back with her. They fight off the not Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, and Carnotaur. the Carnotaur. Thank you. They fight that thing off because they kill that thing too. Like it, it goes flying over the edge. And it then, is a Disney villain, right? So it has to fall yeah. from a high place. Right. Although it shows um, it smashed on the rocks below, which is unusually dark. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the PG part, you know. Um Yeah, I actually thought Kron was the one who was going to fall off the edge um because he's more the the villain in this movie and then he doesn't. He just like he's still there but like has no final, you know, no final words or anything. He just dies. Um I think it would have been I think that would have been a moment to possibly redeem him and that he could have said, Oh, I see, I see your way, you know, like you came back for me, you saved me. And, and then he can, you know, live happily ever after, but we can't have, we can't have here like villains redeemed and live happily ever after, you know, like that's the, that's the star Wars problem too. You know, like after Darth Vader turns, he has to immediately die after Kylo Ren turns, he has to immediately die. Spoiler alert. Uh, right <laughs> uh, so i don't know i i just feel like that's a that i don't know that this is my like this it's a larger criticism it's larger than this movie i feel like it's it's rare in a movie that you get i mean you said it's cliche so maybe i'm wrong on this but i feel like it's rare in a movie that you get a you get a villain who is allowed to be redeemed and then then live on mm-hmm. here's what i think i would have done i would have had nera go up there and try to stop the the Carnotaur, and the Carnotaur kills her, and Crone survives, and Aladar survives. That would have been interesting, except then the, you know, Crone forever has that as like, you know, you, <laughs> the 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 weak, <laughs> the weak lose, you know, I guess. I well, know. he he would be wrong because he would recognize that she only died because he she left the herd. Mm-hmm. And Alador would recognize that, you know, in 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 fact, in in fact, there is something to letting people who are going to die, or dinosaurs who are going to die, die. I'm anti-euthanasia, mm-hmm. I should say. But I, I think thematically, I, that, that's that's probably more ambiguous or ambivalent than you would want from a kids' movie, because ultimately, what we're talking about here is a kids' movie. But I, I think it would have been more interesting than either of the cliches of, of him turning and then dying or um, being redeemed. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess him him dying and not being redeemed at all is fine. <laughs> 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 it's fine. I don't know. I just I wanted them to do something different with it. I was I was I was a little disappointed in that. But I don't know that I would have liked your ambiguous ending either. So yeah, we'd be here complaining that. Oh, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be complaining because it was my idea. <laughs> we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if I was getting paid to rewrite scripts for Walt Disney. <laughs> That's true. I'd be yeah. sl- sleeping on a big pile of money. That's right. 
that's that's phase two of my master plan. <laughs> first, first we get to host live events, and then, uh, and then they're like, "Hey, actually, why don't you guys just, you know, do rewrites?" <laughs> yeah, I must be terribly difficult to write a movie. I would think it would be hard. You got so many, so many moving pieces, and so many like, you know, conflicting interests. I mean, that's the other thing. In fairness to this movie, like this movie got rushed because apparently. Um, our other movie that's going to, we're going to do three movies that came out in 2000 <laughs> in a row. Fantasia 2000 came out. Um, it had an early release in 99, but like, you know, came out in 2000. This movie came out summer 2000. And then um, Emperor's New Groove comes out at the end of 2000. So Disney's like really stretching themselves thin a little bit too. It's probably part of the, part of the issue here, but like um, uh, Emperor's New Groove was supposed to be the summer movie and it was having too many problems. And so they rushed this one and put it into the slot. And so, I mean, there's a ton of things that were deleted and, and didn't, you know, didn't make it into the final version. So there's that aspect too, you know, right. There's the timeline aspect. There's also like, uh, you know, Eisner's is, you know, as you've mentioned several times on here is, is more, more interested or at least very interested in the parks. And so like this movie was kind of being built alongside, um, there's a ride called, countdown to extinction or dinosaur right. which is much yeah. better than this movie yeah um i, I don't know because i haven't written it but i i think there's a cool idea there too like and part of his idea was that hey let why not get the imagineering teams and the and the you know feature animation teams talking to each other a little more like what what new ideas could spring from that maybe you know? i as a as a parks fan I am real nervous about them getting too closely tied with the uh, with the movies and especially with the merchandise. Like uh, that that kind of synergy, I think, is bad for the parks. You end up with rides that are less interesting because they're just um, because they're they're just remakes of the movies. But mm. this isn't a Disney World podcast, so I should save those <laughs> for a different time. Now that you're back in the states, we all got to go to uh, Disney World. Yes. That's right. That'd be great. Let's do that. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Do a live show. And you're all invited. All <laughs> yeah, you're paying your own ways, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not paying for it. Unless Eisner, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure Eisner has a vested interest in wanting us all to go to the parks that fired him. <laughs> oh man. I wonder if this anybody pays- from. The Disney Corporation has ever heard this podcast. You know, there's hundreds of Disney podcasts. I'm sure we're not high on the list. Yeah. I like to imagine that a corporation that big, that there's somebody who's like paid to check them all out, though. <laughs> That's the job I need. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about this movie. I figured it would be a short episode because our episodes on bad movies usually are. <laughs> is this the worst yeah. one we've seen so far how does it stack know. up to I, like the aristocats I, or sword of the stone I, yeah i actually had a hard time thinking about where i'm going to put this in my overall rankings because um yeah i don't i don't know i think like, i would say it's probably better than the aristocats because it has ambition that it failed to achieve and the Aristocats does not have ambition. Yes. 
That is true. That's that's a good point. And I do think ambition counts for a lot. Is it better than um, Oliver and Company? No. No, Oliver and Company at least has a good song. <laughs> Is it better than The Fox and the Hound? No, I think The Fox and the Hound has some stuff that's genuinely moving. Mm. I, I don't think that's a very good movie, but like I, I think it has a heart to it that this movie doesn't have. Yeah. See, I have Aristocats, and in my own personal rankings, I have Aristocats higher than Fox and the Hound, um, even though Aristocats drives me crazy because it's more fun. It is fun, and it's got Phil Harris in it. Yeah. I need to so sit like, down I, and actually rank these. Well, I just think it's interesting, like, the way that you're, like, like this is a difference between us, perhaps, is you're looking for heart, and I'm looking for fun, maybe. So, here's the question. But I'm definitely not anti-heart. I mean, I love I love heart in a movie. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about the, the bottom of the pile. Like, what gets it, what gets it a lower ranking, not necessarily what gets it a higher ranking. So, I think maybe heart would get it a higher, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing. Is it better or worse than The Three Caballeros? Yeah, I don't think anything is worse than the Three Caballeros. Yeah. Yeah, it's a <laughs> that's a pretty bad movie. You know, we've been taking a lot of road trips, like in our like year plus in America, um, because we keep moving from place to place. We don't, you know, our our home is in China, um, and so my kids have been watching a lot of movies in the backseat of the car. And one time they wanted to watch uh, Three Caballeros. Just because the cover on, uh, you know, I have it on iTunes or whatever, and the cover is, it looks fun, you know, like it's got Goofy and, and Donald and uh, Jose, is that his name? Jo- Jose Carioca. I think it, I think they yeah. pronounce the J, the J in, uh, in Portuguese. Oh, do they? In Portuguese, because oh, he's from Jose. Brazil. That's right. Your favorite Disney character, from my understanding. <laughs> um, yeah, I identify with him. Um <laughs> Anyway, the cover looks fun, you know? And I was like, guys, this movie is bad, but if you want to watch it, I don't care. You can watch it, you know? And they're just like, like even my kids, who have some pretty poor taste in movies, right, kids. <laughs> we're like, uh, yeah, you were right. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. That's what they said. It didn't, it didn't make any sense. Some of the music in that movie is okay, but I, I know a lot of people really like the score to Dinosaur. Mm-hmm. I think it's all right. Like, it's, you know, the score's not bad on Dinosaur. I'm, I'm, I don't know. That... I will be shocked if we see anything worse than Chicken Little. Now, I haven't seen everything. There, there's three or four coming up that I haven't seen, so maybe Chicken Little's not the bottom of the barrel, or maybe I'll rewatch Chicken Little, get over my irrational hatred of Zach Braff, and and decide that it's a great movie but i i just have a hard time believing they're ever going to make anything as bad as chicken little Mm -hmm. yeah i've not seen it so in fairness to chicken little i I haven't seen it so maybe maybe it's fine (laughs) next up we have one that uh, a lot of people like right uh yeah next up next next we got our we got our third movie of 2000 as I as I mentioned um, and it is uh, Emperor's New Groove which I've only seen once me too and I remember and I remember thinking it's very funny um, and I think we're gonna have a guest on that one I think Katie Grubbs wants to come on and talk about the Emperor's New Groove I need to 
talk to her and see if she's if she's still interested in that. But the Christian Feminist Podcasts, Katie Grubbs. Yeah, that'll be excellent. So, yeah, that that's something to look forward to. Um, yeah, we've got yeah, it's 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 a long walk, <laughs> as we said, but that's not necessarily bad. Like, I'm actually, as I said before on this podcast, part of the like catalyst for doing the podcast was because I I realized there's a whole handful of of Disney movies I'd never seen, and even if they're the worst ones, like I've still never seen them, and just my completest heart was like I have to watch them all. So sure. I guess I'm Kron. I'm the one um, unmercifully pushing you through this, Michael. <laughs> I think I agreed to it. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, looking for. I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting the ones that I have seen in this era, and then there's a like like I said, there's a whole heap I haven't. So, I'll I'll withhold judgment. I'll I'll try and be fair and withhold judgment. I will say I was in a in a store the other day with a bunch of kids' books, and there was a big um disney book there that had like um you know all the all the different films like little um in, interesting notes and things about them you know it's was, it was just in the kids section this wasn't like a reference novel or a or reference book but there was just you know something for kids and so i picked it up to flip through and see which movies were in and which movies were out um because that's always interesting to me which one like disney itself kind of disavows and there was no no mention of dinosaur anywhere in that book, no i so. imagine not and and <laughs> the ride itself um really has very little to do with the the movie i think they had aladar in a pre-show for a while and they don't anymore mm. but uh don't let that dissuade you uh listeners if you haven't written that and you go to disney world it's worth writing it's fun also i had a weird experience there which is i was standing outside the building to go into dinosaur and there was a duck there and it let me pet her <laughs> she uh she didn't she didn't fly away she just sat there and let me touch her i i didn't know birds let you do that they do in Disney World. Oh, apparently, I'm sure she had been fed by hundreds of people every day, so she was not afraid of me. Yeah, it's a magical place. And it, it is. The ducks are very tame. Tamer than Donald. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> don't don't try and touch Donald. <laughs> you know what would have been great is if the three caballeros had just showed up in the middle of this movie, sang a Mexican folk song, and then just disappeared, and nobody ever said anything about it. <laughs> that would have saved the movie. <laughs> they were they were behind the wall of the cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they opened it up and that was the only thing in there. <laughs> they just look through and it's that scene with Dora Luz singing "You Belong to My Heart." All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, man. Uh, our press liaison is Christian Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. We want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending your time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman, show for reminding you, none of us know knows what changes big or small lie ahead but one thing is certain our journey's not over we can only hope that in some small way our time here will be remembered